Today our scripture reading comes from Psalm 139. So if you have your Bible, or again, if you're watching from home and you can pull it up on your iPad or your tablet, or better yet, your Bible, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. Now as you're turning, most of you are aware that over these last few weeks we have been engaged in a study entitled Encountering the Power of the Holy Spirit. And today, for the first time, we're turning to a passage in the Old Testament and looking at the Holy Spirit. We tend to think, of course, as the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost in those early chapters of the book of Acts. But of course, he is actively at work all throughout the Old Testament. And so we're turning to Psalm 139 for our study today. Verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn... If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your right hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Over these weeks together, as we have been looking at this series in the Holy Spirit, our refrain running through this series is that The Holy Spirit of God dwells within his children and he empowers us and equips us and he helps us to nurture and nourish a relationship with himself. He brings into our lives the fruits of the Holy Spirit's indwelling. He helps us to keep in step with the Spirit of God and we've touched on these themes over these last few weeks together. And today we're coming to Psalm 139. And here the question is, where can I go from your spirit? Isn't that a strange question? Why would we ever want to go away from the Holy Spirit? In fact, David adds in the next verse, where can I flee from your presence? And as we get to these passages, we'll be looking at what is David talking about? But before we get there, I want to start in a slightly different manner today. Over these last eight or nine weeks, of course, we have been very restricted because of COVID-19. And many of us have felt that we are living in a lockdown experience. We can't go too far, and when we do go out, we need to wear a mask, remember, social distancing, and be conscious and cautious of all of that. And that, of course, is only right for the sake of our health. 
And during these weeks, we as a church know that on Sunday mornings we normally have somewhere around 14 or 1500 people live at worship. And we thought that when we stream our services, we would have a similar number watching on a Sunday morning. And that first Sunday, it was around 1,700, and it gradually began to increase. And in recent weeks, it's been around 3,500 people. And when you join us for our streaming service, we can tell where you're joining us from. Now, I have been teasing you a little and saying, not only can we tell where you're from, but we have seen you wearing your pajamas on a Sunday morning. And some of you have got a little nervous and are dressing a little better, so thank you for that. And folks are joining us from, of course, around the United States. We're seeing folks from Florida and Virginia, folks from Pennsylvania, Alabama, Iowa, Michigan, The Far East, well, it's a couple in Myrtle Beach, so thank you if you're watching. Of course, that's Far East from here. But we do have folks from overseas. Europe and South Africa and the Philippines and the Bahamas are also tuning in. And if you're watching this morning, welcome. We're delighted you're here. And I've also been conscious that in the course of these weeks together, you may have a number of questions but you don't have the opportunity to ask those questions. So I'm going to try something, as I said this morning, a little different. If you are watching or you're sitting here and you have a question and you'd think, Richard, I really want to ask about the Holy Spirit. I came in several weeks late and I missed those early studies. And so would you tell us again a little about who the Holy Spirit is? why he is important and why he's a member of the Trinity. God the Father I understand, Jesus I know and understand, but the Holy Spirit seems to be the quiet man of the Trinity. Can you tell us a little more about that? Or you may have been involved in Bible studies in the past, or you've heard folks talk about their faith, and they have talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Where do those gifts come from? What do they look like? How do those gifts grow and develop? And you've got questions. On your screen, you're going to see an email address, and it's simply this, contact us at firstpressgreenville.org. And if you send in your questions today and tomorrow, I will try to research them and give you an answer. My hope is to record the piece to camera and then broadcast it maybe Wednesday evening or Thursday morning. I'll need to wait and see what other things are on demand this week in terms of my schedule. But certainly by Thursday, you will see a broadcast. I'll probably be sitting at a table saying, here are the questions that have come in. And I will try and say what the scripture says about your questions. Now, I won't be able to answer every question about everything, and if you know me, you certainly know that's the case. And if I don't know, I will simply say, I don't know, here is my immediate response, but let me do a little research, and then I will try to answer your question. So be patient with us, but please connect with us all at the same time, and we would enjoy that. And so with all of that being said, let's turn to Psalm 139. Now, as you come to the Psalms, 
there are various classifications of the Psalms. There are 150 of them, and most of you are aware of that. Jesus quoted the Psalms many times. He quoted them when he was being tempted by Satan in the desert for 40 days. He uses the Psalms in response to that temptation. He would sing the Psalms regularly on a Saturday morning when he would gather at his local synagogue for worship. He would sing them when he would be in the temple for the feasts and festivals being held in Jerusalem. As Jewish people across what we think of as the ancient Mediterranean basin would travel to Jerusalem for the Passover, they would sing certain of the Psalms, from Psalm 100 to around 128, 129. They're called the Psalms of Ascent. And pilgrims would sing them together as they made their way up to Jerusalem, which is about 800 feet above sea level. And as they walked up into Jerusalem, you would hear them singing again and again psalms of ascent. There are also psalms of lament. When the psalmist is going through a tough and difficult situation and he's pouring his heart out to God and almost as if he can't quite write the psalm quick enough. There are also what's called royal psalms. And royal psalms contain verses of thanksgiving and praise to God. They focus on trust and assurance. And they are spectacular psalms. There are also psalms of penance. Psalm 51 immediately comes to mind when the psalmist realizes the gravity of his own sin and he's pouring out his soul to God seeking forgiveness. And finally, there are our messianic psalms that focus exclusively on the life, ministry, teaching, death of Christ. And they are, as you can imagine, spectacular. And so as we come to Psalm 139 this morning, what is the first thing we see? Well, first of all, we see the title. For the director of music of David, a psalm. And so we know it was written by David. And the book of Acts tell us that he was a man after God's own heart. And we know many of the psalms of David. We have memorized them and used them in worship. And the Christian community down through the centuries delights in the psalms. Many of our favorite verses are found within the psalms. Yesterday I was privileged to host a funeral here and of course we had that most comforting of all psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And that is typical of the psalms. And here is David reflecting on his relationship with God and he begins in these memorable words that have so much to teach us about living out our faith. He writes, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit, you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my coming in and my lying down. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. And here is David telling us what we know, but he's reminding us in a powerful way that every thought we have, every motivation, every desire, 
every hope and dream, every thought, every word, when we sit down, when we rise up, he discerns them from afar. And what David is telling us is this, that God knows our hearts, minds, souls, intimately, comprehensively, exhaustively. No one could possibly know us better. And David is saying to us, there isn't any hidden areas in our lives. There are no locked rooms as far as God is concerned. No secret areas. He knows us and knows us well and profoundly and deeply. And that brings to us great assurance. Because when we come to him, his knowledge of us is all-encompassing. All-encompassing. Nothing about us surprises him. But if we are not careful, we will miss a deeply significant theological point that runs throughout this particular psalm. And it's this. O Lord, you search me. And do you notice how Lord is printed in your text? Can you see that? It's in capital letters. Capital L-O-R-D. It's not lowercase. Lowercase is often used in Scripture as a sign of respect, endearment, affection. But when you have Lord in capital letters, it is the Hebrew name Yahweh. And Yahweh means this. He who is all-powerful, all-knowing. O Lord, you have searched me. Doesn't begin, O Lord, you know me. O Lord, you search me, and therefore you know me. And it tells us this. And we see this biblical principle from Genesis all the way through to Revelation that God takes the initiative in dealing with his children. He is the one who reaches out to us. He is the one who calls to us. He is the one, through the power of His Spirit, draws us to Himself. He is the one, by the indwelling of His Spirit, who strengthens us and encourages us and equips us. O Lord, You have searched me. Scripture tells us, in the beginning, God created. He took the initiative. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. He took the initiative. O Lord, You have searched me. And You know me. And you may be here this morning and saying, Richard, thank you. I appreciate the contextual backdrop of the Psalms. I understand now a little better about their clarification. I see the point you're making about God taking the initiative. And I get that. And I do know that He knows me. And I do know there isn't a locked area or a hidden room in my entire life. I see that. But Richard, 
I want to follow up with a question, if I may. And it's a tough question. It's a question that we don't always ask or focus on. But it's a little follow-up to last week. When you talked about from Romans chapter 8, do you remember? Romans chapter 8, when we said that in the midst of a lockdown, God is still at work in our lives. Well, I would like to ask, what we do when God does not answer our prayers? If he knows us and knows us deeply, intimately, comprehensively, why doesn't he answer our prayers? And you may be saying, Richard, when I pray and I open up my heart and mind and soul and I lay it all out before him and I've been struggling and I'm tearful and my heart is breaking and he answers that prayer and he does it in a wonderful, profound manner, I understand that. I sense his presence and his blessing, especially when he says, yes, then I can get excited about my relationship with him. Then I feel his closeness. Then I feel his pleasure and his blessing as he's answered my deepest longings. If he answers no, well... Sometimes I can deal with that. If he answers no, I grieve, it's painful, it's hurtful, but eventually I adjust and my prayer finishes with thy will be done and I go back to life as I knew it. Disappointed, yes, hurt, of course, but I adjust. And so when he answers yes, I've got it. When he answers no... I kind of get there eventually. But what on earth do I do when God says nothing at all? And heaven is silent. What do I do then? How do I respond then? Now this is Memorial Weekend. And we heard from Bob earlier as he helped us commemorate those who have, in fact, given their last full measure of devotion. And Memorial Weekend, for many of us, can be a difficult weekend. Some of us have family members who did not come back from serving in the forces. You may be watching this morning or here, listening on the podcast, and you lost a son or an adult daughter. And you've prayed and wept. Your heart has been broken. And you've asked God to explain. And if only He would reveal to you why. Why that was necessary. Then you feel it would be so much easier. But he says not a word. Or it may be you're watching this morning and you're in the final stages of a divorce. 
in the last two and a half years have been dreadful for you. Dreadful. One day after another, after another, after another has been painful because all of your hopes and dreams have crumbled in front of you. The person you once said you loved with all your heart no longer wants to be with you, live with you, love you. And you're grieving and hurt. You've lost a spouse. Just when you were thinking of retirement. And you've wept. And you've prayed. And heaven is silent. What do you do then? Yes, you understand. No, you adjust. But when there's silence, what do you do? How do you respond? When I was growing up in Scotland, I was one of five children. I was right in the middle. had an older brother and sister and a younger brother and sister. It was, for the most part, a good childhood. Although it was marred in one particular manner, as my father was an alcoholic. And I have very distinct memories of being eight, nine years old, around that age, Lying in bed at night, in the darkness, waiting for him to come home. Waiting for the key to go into the lock on the front door. Listening for footsteps. And those footsteps would tell me whether he's been drinking or not. And I would lie there, scared, fearful. Because I knew what was coming. Smashed windows, broken furniture, domestic violence. And I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And it seemed to my eight-year-old little soul that God said nothing. How do you respond in the middle of a crisis when God says nothing? Heaven is silent. And the psalmist tells us, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You discern my going out and my coming down. You are familiar with all my ways. And if you are familiar with all my ways, why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you explaining? Why aren't you taking action? ever been there as an adult as I now look back I know that over these years he has taken every experience and circumstance and used it as he does with each one of us to shape and fashion our souls in order that we can grow in a relationship with Him. That He can enable us to be more Christ-like. And over these Sunday mornings together, how often have we said, many times in fact, that when heaven is silent and God is saying nothing at all, the question we ask ourselves is this, who are we becoming while we wait? 
Who are we becoming while we wait? Because when there is silence, there is a biblical principle we need to remember. And here it comes. God's delays should never be confused with his denials. God's delays should never be confused with his denials. Towards the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph is put in prison for a crime he did not commit. And year after year after year, he languished in prison. And here was God's anointed, a man who had become the prime minister of Egypt, next to Pharaoh, the most powerful in the kingdom. And he was serving time in prison. Can you imagine the heart cries of Joseph? Father, if you loved me, why would you do this? I am serving no purpose locked up here. What is going on? And heaven was silent. And God said nothing. Until, in God's sovereign purpose, Pharaoh had a dream. And Joseph could interpret dreams. In Exodus chapter 3, when God calls Moses from the burning bush, he says to Moses, I have heard the cries of my children. Four hundred years of slavery was about to come to an end. God's delays should never be confused with his denials. And God was at work, sovereignly, providentially, powerfully and here on earth we struggle with what New Testament scholars call theodicy God's seeming lack of concern and why would he allow this and yet God sovereignly actively at work number one God's delays should never be confused with his denials number two In the silence and in the darkness, he is listening. And he's watching and he's shaping and fashioning his children. And he's preparing them for what's to come. And David makes it clear The passage we didn't read, verse 11, he says, If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. He's listening. He's still at work. Actively at work. Do you remember several weeks ago when we looked at the fruits of the Holy Spirit that God develops and grows in our lives? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Did you hear patience in there? Love, joy, peace, patience. And often in the silence and in the darkness... We are driven to our knees. 
And as we grow and mature, we discover, of course, that when David says, where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? What David means is this, not that I want to leave you, not that I could ever leave you, but as he's writing this psalm, I see him with his head in his hand, passionately pouring out his heart's desire and he's shaking his head in incredulity. Even if I go to the far sides of the sea, you are there. Even if I struggle in the darkness, you will make it as daylight because your right hand holds me fast. And when you're tempted to think he does not care, And when you're tempted to walk away because heaven is silent, come back to this psalm. Remember the indwelling, enabling power of the Holy Spirit. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Even if I go to the far sides of the sea, you are there. He will never, ever, ever, ever abandon or walk away from his children. Why? Because his love for us is infinite. So much greater than we could ever ask or imagine. And he will never let us go. And in the midst of all of the restrictions of COVID-19 and a global pandemic and a national state of emergency, he still has you in the palm of his hand and he will never let you go. Let's pray together. Father, we find it hard to articulate all that is going on in our hearts and minds and souls this morning. But we do give you thanks. We give you thanks that you are faithful to us. You will never walk away from us, never abandon us, never leave us to our own devices, because you know us and love us deeply. You hem us in and you go behind us and you are before us and you've laid your hand upon us and we thank you for your faithfulness. A faithfulness that is great. A faithfulness that comes to us day by day by day. And Father, the only thing we can say in response to you this morning is great is thy faithfulness. Father, be with us as we enter into a new week. Lead us, guide us, direct us. Bless us, please, O God. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.